big idea today is there is now no condemnation because of Christ's atonement, and there is no separation because of Christ's love. If you've known me for a while, you know I have the three C's of preaching. Preaching should challenge, convict, and every now and then comfort. Today's an every now and then. Yay. <laughs> Some people say that Romans 8 is Paul's finest composition. It begins with no condemnation in Romans 8, 1, for there is now for, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends with no separation. And in between, we have grace, grace, grace. Remember, justice is getting what you deserve to get. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's what we get from God when we come to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. He's got 13 letters in the New Testament. Some people have called those the Himalayas of the New Testament. And uh, Romans would be Mount Everest in chapter 8. Verses 31 to 39 would be the peak in some minds. This, uh, this reading is often read at funerals. Uh, in fact, almost not every funeral do we read Romans, but we almost read it at every single funeral because it is so comforting and reassuring to those who are grieving and mourning the loss of someone that they have loved. So today Paul asks five questions. Some Christians have zero confidence in their salvation, believing one sin, one slip, one failure, they're out of fellowship with God. I was actually raised that way. I was raised to believe that when I came out of a confessional, I was in a state of grace, but then it didn't take long before I had muddied the waters again, and I was out of fellowship and out of favor with God. And I just went around thinking that. Can I ever be good enough? Can I ever do enough right things? And I always thought it was about works and, uh, you know, kind of earning my way back into the good graces and the favor of God. Um, Paul writes these verses to address that way uh, of thinking. Sometimes in funerals, to de demonstrate this, I'll, I'll walk around saying that I thought God always followed me around with his book. You know, ooh, that's going in the book. And then at the end of life, there will be a judgment and there will be a, a time of uh, kind of going through your, your, your faults, this kind of thing, it, because it was always going in the book. Verse 31 reads as follows. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? There's lots against us right now, I think. The world, sin, evil forces. There was a lot against us during COVID, that was for sure. Boy, we, we got toned for a loop with that one. Unrest, doubt, fear, despair, discouragement, uh, division. It's easy to give up. It's easy to say, what's the use? Why bother to keep going? Uh, especially when we see, you know, are the institutions of our day have sort of been infected by this sense of... Um, change and difference? Do we trust what they say now, whereas before we always used to trust the institutions of life? But now it's a different story. Um, God is always about the truth, and God's people always want to be about the truth. Just tell me the truth, and I can handle it. I can deal with it, right? Um, but sometimes these things come at us, and a lot of people just throw up their hands and say, I can't. 
truth is, if God is for us, no one can be against us. Who can defeat us? One of Kathy's favorite expressions is, but God. And that's really true in this case. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. But God, fill in the blank. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Paul points to the cross in this verse. If God gave his son for us, he will not withhold what we need for salvation. It's about becoming like Jesus. It's about sanctification. Steps of salvation is justification, where we give our life to Christ, repent of our sins, and then sanctification is kind of where we are after we've done that for the rest of our lives, becoming more and more like him, and then glorification when we finally get to be with him in a glorified body. When I do the ablutions up here, when the, when the acolyte pours the water over the hands of the priest, the ablutions, um, every priest has a saying. And mine is, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. This is Psalm 51.10. This is, uh, Nathan has, final, has, has accused uh, David of his sin with Bathsheba, and he writes Psalm 51 before he feels forgiven by God, before he is forgiven by God. And this was part of it. Create in me a new clean heart, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't let me stay where I am. Keep working with me that I might become more and more like what you want me to be. Interestingly, also, I've mentioned this before. In 2006, when we were in Ireland, we discovered that Psalm 51 is the current motto. Had no idea. And I think, is this what you say too? Matthew. So, we're never there, we've never really arrived, but we're working day by day to become more and more Christ-like. Verse 33, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Now we're in court and we've been acquitted by God himself not guilty, who will accuse us? Sometimes it's ourselves, but normally it's Satan. The word Satan means accuser. God has declared us righteous because of Christ's worthiness, not because we are worthy. It's because of what he has done for us that we receive and take to ourselves, not because we've been so wonderful. Satan is in court with you as the, pers- as the prosecutor, and he's going nuts because he knows how this is going to end, and it's not right, it's not fair. I have the video. I have the tape. Look at the tape. There it is. There he did it. You're seeing it for yourself. Case closed. Guilty. And God, mm-hmm, I see the tape. The cross trumps the tape. Not guilty. Hallelujah. There was a woman named Abby Johnson. I just saw her the other day speaking. Abby Johnson was the uh, manager of a Planned Parenthood abortion clinic. She had two abortions herself, 
and she oversaw the uh, 22,000 abortions at the clinic while she was there. Until one day they needed help during a procedure and she went in to help and she'd never seen one before. She had two, but she'd never seen one done like, you know, from the professional side. And she was aghast. She, it turned her life around. She started to reflect on what, who am I? What have I been doing? How could I do this? This is crazy. She became a very, very, has become a very strong Christian, outspoken, pro-life advocate around the world. Amazing. I thought of her when I was reading this, and I was thinking about this. Because Satan is just jumping up and down. Two abortions oversaw 22,000 of them. Huh. No hope for you. But there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, even Abby Johnson. There are women in here who have had abortions. It is not the unforgivable sin. You're forgiven. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes. Who was raised from the dead? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed intercedes for us? I forgot one thing. I was going to read this back in the uh, sanctification part. Watchman Neat tells about a new uh, convert who came to him in distress. No matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I simply cannot seem to be faithful to my Lord. I think I'm losing my salvation, he said. Do you see this dog here? He is my dog. I saw, I saw Lindsay wheel Luke in, right? Is Lindsay here? Back there. With Luke? Okay, good. He is my dog. He is house trained. He never makes a mess. He is obedient. He is a pure delight to me. Out in the kitchen, I have a son. A baby son. He makes a mess. He throws his food around. He fouls his clothes. He's a total mess. But who's going to inherit my kingdom? Not my dog, my son is my heir. You are Jesus Christ's heir because it is for you that he died. We are Christ's heirs, not through our perfection, but by means of his grace. True. So Jesus is our lawyer, and you can't do better than that. Then in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Mm. Seven possible adversities. Separate means to be torn asunder or to amputate. Life is made up of things that separate. Friends come and go. Um, I moved around a lot in my day, and I never kept up with people in my past in many ways. I never went to a high school reunion. I don't know anybody from there. Um, I have some people from the Navy that I, that I still communicate with. Um, seminary friends, a little bit. Some ministry people, a little bit. But generally speaking, it's, it's the people in your life right now that make a difference. Um, People come and people go. We moved 17 times in our life together of 50 years. And when you leave a place, you tend to leave it. You separate. Now, we have neighbors who 
built a house next to us, and then they moved, and now we have new people who've moved in. The new people, Taylor and Jordan, are a young couple, and they have small children. And the people who moved out are Chris and Lisa Kinzer, who are members of the church who happen to be here today. Hello, thank you. So it's, I haven't seen them, they moved out. So it was really nice to make, to catch up today a little bit. And that's that, that separation thing. Ch children, they grow up and they leave, you know, and it's not the same as it was before. Marriage vows until we are parted by death. Um, first and last kiss, you know. We had a marriage here yesterday and we said those vows until we are parted by death. I remember the story, and I've mentioned it before, but Kathy's folks were over at Cambrell and uh, Kathy's dad was not doing well. He had some full-time care and Kathy was sitting with her mother and looking into the bedroom where they were working on her dad and they're kind of getting him ready for the day. And her mother said, you know, he hasn't kissed me yet today. So Kathy said, well, we'll take care of that. So after they were finished with him, they went in and his mother, her mother laid down on the bed and kissed him and he rolled over and died. I'm not saying she killed him. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I don't know. It was beautiful. I'm not saying it wasn't. So, as it is written, for the sake, for thy sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We may forget God, but God does not forget us. His love for us is independent of our moods, and our feelings. Paul says there are more, we are more than conquerors. He's sure, he's convinced, he's persuaded, he's confident that none of these things will separate us from the love of Christ, including death. And uh, sometimes at funerals, I'll bring up the thief on the cross who lived a life worthy of crucifixion. Uh, I can assure you he was not baptized, he was not confirmed, and he probably did not go to Sunday school. He lived a life worthy of crucifixion. He deserved it. He deserved it. Justice. He was getting justice. And he looks at God, Christ, and says, remember this day, remember me when you go into your kingdom. Put his faith in Christ at the last moment despite the life that he had lived up to that time. And Jesus simply says, I tell you the truth this day, you will be with me in paradise. Not after a period of soul sleep, not of today, you will be with me in paradise because he put his faith in Christ. There is no separation for those who put their faith in Christ and there is no condemnation. Nothing in the world is able to separate us from the love of God we need to trust him. 
The three-year-old felt secure in his father's arms as dad stood in the middle of the pool. But dad, for fun, began wading slowly toward the deep end, gently chanting deeper and deeper and deeper as the water rose higher and higher on the child. The lad's face registered increasing degrees of panic as he held all the more tightly to his father, who, of course, easily touched the bottom. Had the little boy been able to analyze his situation, he'd have realized there was no reason for increased anxiety. The water's depth in any part of the pool was over his head. Even in the shallowest part, had he not been held up, he'd have drowned. His safety anywhere in that pool depended on Dad. At various points in our lives, all of us feel we're getting out of our depth. Problems abound, a job is lost, someone dies. Our temptation is to panic, for we feel we've lost control. Yet as with the child in the pool, the truth is we've never been in control over the most valuable things of life. We've always been held up by the grace of God, our Father, and that does not change. God is never out of his depth, and therefore, we're safe when we're going deeper than we've ever been before. Now, on, a, on a, just a kind of an interesting note, um, Nadine uh, was our wedding coordinator, so she left. So who steps up to have McGee, right? Now she has to recruit people to help her. Oh, look, here's Sheila Michelle and Patty Stewart over here. So yesterday during the wedding, they're doing this like they've done it forever. Okay, they're down with the girls, they're down with the boys, they're up here with all the people. And then I realized at the communion, I need another chalice minister. Well, Bev and, and, and Sheila were going to be ushers for communion. I said, where's Patty? And up she comes. She's never been a chalice minister in her life. <laughs> but she... I turn around, there she is, is doing a little bit of an instruction, and all went well, didn't it? What do you mean, no? You're shaking your head. Was there a problem? Huh? I didn't spill it. That was the whole thing. I didn't spill it. This was a very interesting wedding because I, I, I filled the chalices, and I didn't know how many people were going to come to communion, but most people intincted. So I've got this chalice half full of wine. But not, not to worry, I had all the groomsmen over here. So after communion, I came down and we had a little of this all the way down the line. I said, well, that was a first. You've got to be flexible. That's how that goes. Christ is the Lord of every terror and master of every enemy. Of what shall we be afraid? Nothing and no one. We do not need to fear the past, the present, or the future because we are secure in the love of Christ. No condemnation, no separation. It really is true, and we need to live into that, the fact that there is no condemnation and no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He loves us anyway.
There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I should have asked before. I did it at 8 o'clock. Did anybody have trouble hearing me? Raise your hand. Okay, most people were okay with that. Lynn, did you have a hard time? Okay. Oh, all right. Okay. Maybe they will get the words up. If not, we're on page 358 in the Book of Common Prayer. But let us affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven 